Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. So today, we are continuing our journey through James, but if you noticed, if you've been coming at all, we sort of have a typical layout of our, our gathering times, and if I'm up here a little early, because we're doing something unique today that I'm pretty excited about, if you have a very low attention span, today is your day. That's all I'm going to say. We are, uh, we're going to be up and down this whole service. It's going to be great. So I'm excited for it. Uh, if you can turn with me to James 5, it's the last chapter of James um, it is towards the back of your Bibles. You might want to use the table of contents because it's like three pages. So you'll skip over it and then get angry and then you'll give up. So you can do that. Uh, and while you're doing that, I'm going to talk for a little bit. Um, one of the things that was awesome this weekend that I just wanted to share because I thought it was cool and sometimes you guys don't get to know, uh, we have that wonderful coffee cart out, out in the lobby and believe it or not, it's mobile and we take it and do lots of different events. So we did a crew event on Friday. This is us at an elementary middle school in the middle of campus, which was wild on a Friday night, believe it or not. Uh, and that was cool. We served like eight, 70 or 80 free drinks to Crew, which is a ministry that's on campus that we support. So if you know Crew, uh, good for you. And then yesterday, <laughs> we uh, were at the Grandview Hop and served a lot of drinks. Our machine went down, and that was devastating for a little bit. But we still served like 300 drinks. So. Um, yeah, and that's just a way that we love our community and bless our community. And we, I don't know the exact number, but we raise money for our, our local nonprofits. People tip because we get the drinks for free. They can tip if they want, and we raised uh, quite a bit of money for that. I don't know the exact number, but that's just a really cool way to love our community and also love the local partners that we support. So if you're not to James 5 by now, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Um, James 5, in verse 13, we, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to kind of go through it in chunks here. It says, is anyone among you suffering, he should pray. Is anyone in good spirits, he should sing praises. Is anyone among you ill, he should summon the elders of the church, and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and there was no rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land sprouted with a harvest. So this is our passage today, uh, and if you notice, there's basically three questions at the beginning of this passage, and that's what we're going to break three teachings into. So I'm, gonna, I'm basically going to teach three times. Don't worry, it's not 30 minutes each. Um, but we're going to talk about each question, and then we're actually going to practice what he's asking if you've been following along in James, or you've read James, James is a very uh, applicable, practical book. Because James is writing to first century Christians, and they're trying to figure out how we do this whole Jesus thing. And some of them were Jewish, some of them weren't. And they were trying to figure out how to reconcile our customs and our life with Jesus. And so James is writing, basically, uh, here's how to follow Jesus, especially in the midst of maybe persecution or cultural differences. And as we wrap up, uh, this is the second to last week of James, uh, we're, we're navigating this idea of um, prayer and healing and praise. And, and really, this whole passage is centered around what it means to trust that God is in control and is good and is present in all of life's circumstances. That's really 
the main thrust of what we're talking about today. There's just kind of three different categories we find ourselves in that James wants to highlight and encourage us in. And so the first one, we'll start off in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Your translation might say uh, afflicted or troubled. Uh, and really what it is is it's just the things that we carry with us, right? Like uh, you're feeling anxious or you're frustrated about something, or you're stressed about money or you have a relationship that's not going very well or you're just tired and you walked in here and the second you walked through the door, you try to put a smile on your face and, and then lied when someone's like, how are you doing? You're like, great. J- just kidding, my life's in shambles. And then they're like, okay, can you just keep walking? <laughs> I love that. I would love for someone to just, uh, one of our greeters to just like, have someone just totally unload on them and then see how they handled it because normally we're just like, cool, you got two minutes till service starts, but we don't do that, right? We don't just like unload our stuff because church is this weird, time-conflicted, everybody, we have a very little time to be known. That's why Sundays are great, but they're not everything. We offer a lot more than just Sundays. Um, But today, we're actually going to spend time in this. So this is like the one time where if you came today feeling heavy, uh, I'm so happy you're here because we're actually going to pray for it and, and, and do something about it instead of you just having to sit with it yourself. Um, and that's what it means to be a community, and, and that's what James is getting at here. Uh, I love that uh, Douglas Moo, he's a scholar, is talking about this verse, and he says, the prayer believers are to offer in such circumstances is not necessarily for deliverance from the trial or the hardship or the affliction, but for the strength to endure it faithfully. I love that idea because when we read James 1, it talks about how uh, we're to count it joy when we experience trials. And he says, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and then when we let perseverance finish its work, we'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I love that idea that what if the hardships that we face, the things that we're dealing with, the difficulties, are actually not something that we should run from, but press into and focus on how we can be full of integrity and honoring the Lord in the midst of that. That would change our worldview because we wouldn't just be always pursuing things that are easier or more comfortable, but we, that we know that hardship is inevitable and it's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. So our prayers are not just to get me out of this, Lord, right? But to help me honor you in the midst of it, which is a much more freeing thing because as humans, we all have struggles and troubles. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to give you guys a space to do this. Uh, James tells us to pray when we're afflicted or troubled. And so we're going to give you guys about uh, three to five minutes, and you can either pray with the person beside you. We have people in the back who, on the prayer team, would love to pray for you. And what we want you to do is just open this up for a time to just be prayed for. Whether there's something you're wrestling with, um, you're anxious about something, you're just feeling heavy, there's an area of your life that's really just like hard for you right now, or there's some freedom that you, that you need, um, we just want to open it up for that, and you guys can pray, and then we're going to um, jump back into the second part. So we'll give you some space. Pray with someone beside you or in the back, and uh, let's just use this time to pray for one another in our afflictions. All right. All right, hopefully that was encouraging. Sometimes I would think, man, we could, we could just end here and call it, and we're good, right? Like, what a... Great service. And some of you are like, no, I need to learn something, or this was not a good service. So, but uh, man, what a cool thing for us to just pray for each other. It's nothing profound, but it's what James and the Lord calls us to do. So the next one, let's move from prayer to praise. 
Uh, this is the second half of verse 13. It says, Is anyone in good spirits? He should sing praises. Some translations will say cheerful or happy. Uh, if, it's, if you notice, it's kind of interesting how it goes from this like hardship, affliction, to then all of a sudden happy and cheery. And it's almost if James is drawing in the whole community, like wherever you're at, there's something that you can respond to in light of what God is, who he is and what he's doing. Uh, and what's unique about the word, if you got nerdy into the Greek of the word cheerful and good spirits, it's uthemio, and it, it, it's less about like happy or smiley and good. It's more about uh, enthusiasm, courage, and a confident faith. And it's oftentimes used in the context of stress. So this type of word is actually used more so in when you're dealing with hardship, not necessarily like everything's just good and I'm happy. It's that I'm, I'm basically finding contentment and joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so when we define it like that, uh, it, it creates a, great, a, a greater weight in knowing that we can be cheerful, we can engage in gratitude even in the midst of hardship. Oftentimes we think, oh, I can only be cheerful if everything's going well. There's no, there's no circumstances that are causing difficulty. But what, what they're saying here is much different. In fact, the time that Paul uses basically the same word in, in uh, the book of Acts, he's shipwrecked. He's being shipwrecked with these, uh, these sailors on this journey. And they're at, they're at uh, the storm at the sea and experiencing tons of hunger. He urges them to uh, the same word, uthamia, which he, he uses to keep up their courage. So it's, it's funny to me that the, the moment that this word is used is on a shipwreck with no food and a storm. So that means that even in the midst of hardship, our response can be and should be praise. Now, James says sing songs. Some of you might be like, I don't know about that one. I hate singing, and I get here late on purpose, so I don't have to sing. Or I just, mom, 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 watermelon, watermelon, look like I'm singing, right? Uh, or you're like, Trey, you haven't heard me sing, but you don't want to. And you don't sing, which is funny because if you think about it, this is like one of the most humbling things. I think about the fact that like God wants to hear you sing, even if you're terrible. Like talk about an awesome God because it's like some of us should not sing. <laughs> like you're like just some of us. I mean, you've watched what is it like America's Got Talent, The Voice, right? They like put those people up there that should have never made it through the line, and they just haven't. No one's told them they're bad. And Simon's like, you're bad, right? God doesn't say that. It blows my mind that he is so gracious and will hear me sing and be okay with it. And that, that just shows that he loves me. He really does. But it says to sing. And, and I think if we get to a deeper sort of like if, if you were to get down to the human reality and experience, because sometimes people say, why do we have to sing? Like, why is that a thing? Why do we sing every Sunday? Can we just not do worship? Other people are like, please, just the worship, Right? And what it comes down to is just humanity in the way that we're created. We as humans experience things, not just cerebrally and that we know something or we understand something, but we experience it through our senses, through our, our hands, our actions, our heart, right? It's all intertwined. We talk about that when we talk about the soul or the, the Hebrew word nefesh. It's like all of you, everything. And so when we talk about singing, I think about it the same way as if I was to say, you might like listening to your favorite band on Spotify, but when you see them in concert, completely different. The only difference, though, really is the music is just much louder. But you'll be like, it was a spiritual experience, you know? Like, it was crazy. I got goosebumps, and everybody around me was just screaming and yelling, and it was awesome, right? What's the difference? Well, there's this, just this experience. The environment and what you're doing uh, produces something. And also, what's weird is song actually helps you uh, ingest it more. 
if I was to ask you, like, hey, you know, tell me something that your mom would tell you when you were little that you got in trouble for, you wouldn't be able to remember it. But I said, like, can you sing a song that your mom taught you when you were three? You'd know it. You just would. You'd start singing nursery rhymes. Why? Because they're to song, which doesn't make any sense. That's how our, that's how our bodies and brains work. There's something about song that has a deep, um, just, like, ingestion into our lives and our bodies and our hearts and our minds. And so song does that. It promotes that idea of joyfulness. It's the same reason why if you listen to the sound of waves on a speaker, it's way different than when you're standing in front of the ocean, right? People pay a lot of money for beachfront for a reason, right? So there's something about the way that God had created this. It's like he knows that our senses and our body, is, it needs to get up under what we're doing. And that's how faith works, right? We can believe something, but we can also believe something in action, and that's that we do something. And, and praise is a response to that. And praise, even more, is a better response when you're struggling, not when you're at the highs of your life. Because when you're at the highs of your life, it might be easy to be, oh, yeah, things are great. But when you sing knowing you don't want to sing, that's when it really can become a powerful, beautiful thing, and that's when it's courage. I think about this um, in, in, in regards to the two, right, affliction and then cheerfulness. And uh, I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago, and I did not fact check this, so if I could be wrong, but... He was talking about how the part of your brain that processes anxiety and worry is the same part that processes gratitude and thankfulness. And so essentially, if you're, if you're anxious and, and, and worried, you can't be thankful and have gratitude. But if you have gratitude and you're thankful, like anxiety and worry can't be in the same, can't cohabitate in your brain in the same place um, because it comes from the same part of your brain. And that idea is, is really fascinating, the idea that we can choose gratitude and joy. And it's not like we're just like not acknowledging the hardships of life, but that in those moments, though, we can find God pressing deeply into us, even in moments of hardship and stress. And so I actually practiced this. We had a uh, director's retreat about a week and a half ago. There's 10 directors that help run our church, and they're all volunteer, and then our staff it was all together. And... We did this, so normally we pray during our retreats, pray for you guys, pray for the community, all this kind of stuff. And instead, I decided that we would, we would just pray thankfulness first before we did anything. And so we did like 45 minutes. We have a whiteboard, and we just wrote down all this stuff that God had been grateful and thankful, like uh, that we've been thankful for, and all the stuff God was doing. And it was just overwhelming. I mean, to just sit there and, and think about all the things God's doing. It's funny, because before we got there, I was, like, thinking of a few things. It's like, yeah, you know, God's been good. Like, the building hasn't burned down. People still show up. We're not in debt. You know, it's like all this stuff. But then all of us are sitting around, and all of us are just starting to bring up all these things that God's doing. And we're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And you forget. Why? Because we just move on, right? Like, our brains are always in the next thing. And so someone does something nice for you, and you're like, oh, thank you so much. And then you never think about it again. But God is calling us into this speed at which we can slow down, and even in stress, realize what has God given us? How is God present? What is he doing? And we did this, and it was overwhelming. I mean, this was, we filled the whiteboard. We could have probably had more. And some of them we just generalized because there was so much good stuff from each thing. Uh, but this is the stuff that God's been doing in our lives and that we're so encouraged by. And it's so easy some days to wake up and be like, is God really doing anything? Are people really finding freedom? Is our church really doing what it needs to be doing? Are we actually making a difference? It's so easy to think that. But you choose these moments of gratitude and of thankfulness and of cheerfulness, and in those hard moments, you see God at work. One of the most profound ways I experienced it, other than what we, we just did with the director's retreat, was I was sitting in a movie theater watching the Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers like movie with Tom Hanks. Um, great, great movie. Uh, Tom Hanks is Mr. Rogers, spoiler. Uh, and um, 
and he's, he's, inter he's, he's being interviewed by this reporter who's trying to like gouge him for like trying to make him sound not as good as he was, and the guy's like blown away, and they're sitting at this diner, and before they eat, Mr. Rogers is like, hey, you know, why don't we just take a moment and just think about people who have helped us in our life, who have gotten us here, and just be grateful. And, and, and what's funny is you're watching a movie, right? And so you're like engaging, and then I'm sitting in the theater, and the camera in the movie just like stops on his face. It's just a still of his face for probably like 20, 30 seconds. It's a very long time, and he doesn't even like blink. It's just, he's just staring. And the camera just focuses in, and it's, it basically breaks, is the fourth wall, is that right? It breaks the fourth wall, and everyone's like looking around, like, I guess we're going to do this. Like, this, this movie's making us do this activity. So we're just sitting there, and I'm like thinking about all these people in my life, right? And then all of a sudden, I just start hearing people start weeping. They're just crying because they're thinking about all the people in their lives who have loved them deeply, who have cared for them, who have got them to where they are today, who are continuing to encourage them and prod them on. And, you know, I'm, and then I'm like starting to get emotional because I'm like, you know, yeah, I didn't think about all these people either. I didn't know there was just many people loved me. And, you know, and, and wow, I'm so grateful. And then you go back into the movie. It's like this weird just draws you in. But why was it so powerful? Because we don't really do that, right? We, someone's birthday, hey, grateful for you. Thank you. I'll have some cake. That's about it, right? We, don't, we rarely encourage in meaningful ways. We rarely stop and sit and think about the ways that God has done things in our lives, has brought people into our life. But that is worship in itself. And even when life is hard, we actually should cling to that more and more. There's a really good quote that talks about the juxtaposition between these two. Uh, a scholar named Leah says, Christians who face trouble often lose their awareness of the presence of God due to the gloom in their situation. But Christians who have elation or excitement tend to forget God in the joy of their good success. She says, both darkness and sunshine should lead believers to a consciousness of God in their lives. And so I just want us to think about that. We're going to give you more time again now from this to just think through, man, what are the ways that God has been grateful and good to me? And if you can't think of anything at all, you're still breathing. So let's start there and work our way, right? Um, but I, I encourage you to, that you'll, you'll start to see and notice that God has been doing lots of things in your life and giving you people and and things like that that you can be grateful for. Whether you want to do that on your own and just pray before God, you can do that, or you can talk to your, par your partner, your neighbor, and just be like, hey, isn't this crazy? These are some of the things that God's been doing and that I'm grateful for. And then what we're going to do is you're going to do that, and then uh, because we're being so courageously cheerful, we're going to sing our faces off on the next song, okay? Does that sound good? We're singing Unstoppable God, so it's definitely a... A good song. So we'll give you some time to do that, and then Nick and the band will lead us in a song, and we will keep moving. You gotta love it. Thanks, band. All right, number three and last one, which is probably the largest chunk. Starting in verse 14, is anyone among you ill? Or maybe your translation will say sick. You should summon the elders of the church and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. There's a lot going on here. Uh, we talk about anointing and sickness and obviously we talked about in, uh, affliction and trouble and all that suffering in the first part. And so this is a little bit different. And I'm going to kind of give you the context of what I think James is communicating at this time, and then I want to widen it to the application for us. In this context, 
it, it really seems like what they're talking about is someone who's sick, who probably is like very sick. And back then, most people died like at 30. So it was a very common thing to be sick, unfortunately. Uh, praise God for modern medicine, right? But um, so you'd be like sick or you maybe a uh, sick bed rest, right? And they would not be able to be healed. And so they'd call in the leaders of the church and they'd come and they'd pray for them and they'd anoint them and lay hands on them and they'd pray for them and they'd pray they'd be healed. And James is navigating that in light of all of this. And what I talked about, the whole overarching theme of this entire passage today is God is present and near and in charge and sovereign in the midst of all life circumstances. Whether we're struggling, we're suffering, whether we're happy and cheerful in the midst of stress and anxiety or whatever, or we're, we're, we're sick or we're dealing with sickness. Now, I do think that, that James is, is talking about a physical sickness, but the, the tense part about this passage when you read it is the understanding of sin and the relationship of sickness in the first century was much different than the way that we typically see it now. What I mean by that is if you were someone who was lame or like literally lame in the legs or um, blind or a leper or right something, everyone would assume that you either did something wrong with God or you're basically your parents did, which is a bummer because, you know, you can't control what your parents did. They decide to have you, and that's all you get, right? But that's, that's the reality of it. So if you, have, if you were lame, not only were you lame, which was a bummer, but then you were kind of outcast. You couldn't really go into the synagogue because you are considered unclean. You had barriers that you couldn't go out. If you were a leper, you couldn't even live in the same, like, town. You had to live in a community of lepers. So there's this massive um, marrying of sin and sickness, and oftentimes, physical sickness was the indicator for them to say, oh, that person's with sin, right? Now, today, we know that that's not always the case. Like, I mean, you could say, oh, the world's sinful. It's not perfect ever since Adam and Eve. God, it, it wants the world to be perfect. It's not. And so sin entered the world, and now we have natural disasters and cancer and all this kind of stuff, right? We could say that. And some of these things we have, not, have nothing to do with us, right? Like I said, you're born with something. You didn't do anything wrong to get that. It just happens, right? But there are other things that, there are sins that we commit that do affect us and do affect others and do have physical ramifications on our body. If you drink six beers every night for 20 years, you are going to have liver problems. You just are. And that's, that's the sin of drunkenness that you're not taking care of your body, right? And you are committing something that is causing legitimate sickness that was from your sin. So we, that's possible. But that's not always the case. There are sicknesses and things that happen to us that someone can't just look at you and say, well, it's because you sinned, man. It's because you were mean to your mom, and now you got the flu. Like, I'm sorry, I don't want to tell you. Maybe you should have got the flu shot, you know? But that's, that's not, it's, it, that, but people do that with this passage. They say, like, if you're praying for healing and they're not healed, well, clearly something is wrong. The formula's not right. Let's look at all the variables. Do you, are you, you know, are you sinless? Are you perfect? Or did you do something wrong? Okay, tell us what you did wrong, and then you'll be healed, right? It, it seems very formulaic, but it's not really what we're getting at. And that's not true for us. Because many of you have prayed for people to be healed, and I sure hope that the truth of this is not, well, you just didn't pray hard enough, right? Or God wasn't listening, because that's not true, right? So what is, the, what is like the main point of this passage, and what is it getting to, and then how does it work for us? I think the, it's important to define the actual word ill or sickness, because when we get to that, it starts to realize that because they married everything together, physical sickness, spiritual sickness, there's a different idea of healing. And so what I mean by that is when Jesus heals people, he often heals them of their physical sickness, but his priority is their spiritual sickness, right? He'll say, do you, would you rather me heal you or forgive your sins? You know, I can do both. And then the Pharisees are like, 
who is this who can forgive sins? Only God can do that. And so Jesus is like, I'll do both. Watch. And he heals their, their arm, right, their withered hand, to show the power that he has over the physical realm and then heals them of the sins, forgives them of the sins, spiritual realm. So that's the interplay that they have and that Jesus is pushing against, showing them that there isn't just a physical reality. If I have a cold, right, it could be spiritual warfare, but it also could just be the fact that we're humans, right? But at the end of the day, what's more important, my physical sickness or my spiritual sickness that is separating me from the God of the universe? So what James is getting at here is he's saying, like, he does believe that God can heal and will heal, and the person that places himself before God in relationship can pray boldly for people to be healed. And I think we should believe that. I think that we should believe that God can and wants to heal people. Now, do I believe that it's all contingent on how great of a Christian you are or how good your prayer is or what words you say? I don't think so. Right? I don't think that God is like grading our prayers and being like, ugh, that was the wrong word. You could have used a better one, right? Or your prayer was too short, or you repeated and too much, right? Grammar. He's not doing that. But what is getting what is happening is it's clear that there's this relationship, and he even says this later in the verse. He says, um, the the prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. And that's where some people say, well, you just clearly aren't righteous enough, right? Your prayers didn't work, you're not effective. But what it's getting at here is not a sense of righteousness in that it's like, I'm a perfect Christian, therefore my prayers are lethal, which is what people think like, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, why don't you pray for me? Because your prayers are way better than theirs. And I'm like, that's just not how that works. You know, like, I'm also, I believe it or not, I am, I am a sinner, right? So what he's, what he's getting at here, and he was referring to of righteousness, is what we believe is righteousness, is I am made right because of the blood of Jesus, I am not made right because of how little or much I sin, because one sin is any, any ruin of perfection, right? So I am righteous because I believe in the gospel. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he uh, is, is placing himself in line for God to see me as through Jesus, as sinless, right? That's what makes me righteous. So if that's the case, then anybody who believes in Jesus has the ability to pray effectively for other people, which is amazing, because that means that Trey is not like a senior member of varsity of prayers. All of you who believe that have that power. The problem then is when you have people who don't believe that pray. And if someone doesn't believe in God or they don't believe in Jesus, there's not a relationship there. There's not an abiding. And Jesus says you're not a part of the vine. Then you're not going to get the vine's nutrients. You're not going to get that. And so that doesn't mean that God can't hear potentially those people. But what, what James is saying here is bring people in your church community and have them pray for you. And then he says, anoint you. Now, anointing uh, is interesting. I did not grow up with anointing. Uh, what I knew of it when I was young was like, it was what the charismatic people did about, they anointed everything, right? Like the doorknobs, your forehead, the car, everything, right? Because like, we'll anoint it and then, you know, it'll do something. And so I was kind of like heebie-jeebie about it, right? I was like, this is kind of weird, right? And then you read James and you're like, well, it seems like he wants us to do it. But you still feel like uneasy, right? And maybe you've grown up with anointing, and so it's very normal for you. But I would, I would guess that most of you aren't frequently anointing others or things. Um, and so I want to talk about it a little bit. I want to bring it down to a, a very specific level of what anointing is and is not. The first and primary thing that you need to know is anointing is a symbol. It is not a like spiritual game with mystical power. The oil that we have for anointing today is olive oil from Kroger, and we did nothing special, no juju or spells that were put on it. It is just normal oil that you can get yourself at Kroger. So it is not a specific special oil, the same as when we baptize people, 
There's nothing special about the water, right? Um, it, it is a, merely a symbol. And when you look at the Old Testament, anointing is best defined as this. It is, anointing symbolizes the consecration of a person or thing for God's use and service. So the most common anointing that you maybe have heard of in the Old Testament is King David gets anointed. And so before he's actually king and has like, you know, power and authority over everyone, um, the prophet comes in and has all of uh, David's brothers and they all line up, and he's like, and anoint them. He's like, where's, where's your last son? And he's like, oh, you know, he's out in the fields shepherding. And they bring him in, and then he anoints him in front of everyone. And he's, he's showing symbolically, like, this is God's chosen one to be king, and he's setting him aside. And so anointing was also used for priests to set aside for the service of God. So you would be anointed, meaning you are being set aside for the work of the, the synagogue. Well, it would be the tabernacle at that point, and then synagogues and things like that. So that, that's where anointing comes from. But then you see anointing a couple times in the New Testament, and anointing is this, is this process of healing. You anoint people as you're healing, and it's the same idea. You're symbolically placing them before the Lord, and you're saying, hey, like, we want to put you before the Lord so that the Lord can heal you. Now, 2,000 years later, it just seems weird, right? A little bit, it seems like, wow, this is like a little bit of an ancient thing we're doing. Isn't like essential oils the new thing, right? Like, put someone in a room with some lavender and eucalyptus, put it on high, and we'll call it good, right? Because um, we all know eucalyptus will save you from everything because it smells so good. And uh, I do, I like essential oils, okay? We diffuse the oils. But, but it, it's like what it, what, it just feels, it feels very archaic, right? It just feels weird. Um, I think it feels a little weird, personally, because I didn't grow up with it. But think about how weird so many of the things we do are. If you're new and this is your first time, this right here, this juice and this bread, is supposed to be symbolic of Jesus' body. And what's funny is when, they, when the early church started taking the Lord's Supper, which is what Jesus commands us to do, they started doing it. And then the Romans were watching at the time. And Pliny, who was a Roman providence leader, uh, email, I almost said emailed, uh, <laughs> messaged, messaged over a long period of time. They had to walk the letter to Rome and was like, these Christians, like, I think they're like cannibals. Like, they're drinking blood and eating body. I don't understand. Like, it's weird. They're weird. We should be worried about them. Literally, there's writing about this. Because it is weird, right? Like, we're symbolically eating Jesus. What is, what is that? No, the deep power and symbol of it is that we're reminding ourselves, we're literally ingesting the physical reality of something that we believe intellectually and we feel. That's the soul, the nefesh, the, the heart, the head, the hands. We put it all together, and then we start to embody this in a deep belief that's not just one or two of the three. And so when we do that, not only are we believing intellectually and feeling and knowing Jesus' love for us, we are experiencing it by tasting and crunching on bread, that is gluten-free, and, uh, and juice, right? Or wine if you're, uh, some people do wine. Uh, you're doing that, and you're engaging that, right? Baptism, you are being baptized in water to symbolically show what you believe internally as a belief of following Jesus. You do it uh, in this water externally to show that you're dead to sin and alive in Christ, right? Now, you're not literally being drowned and all your sins are going away while you're held under, right? And then you come up and you're like, I'm free, Right? That's not how it works. But this is, this is the part of the faith that God has incorporated into humanity these experiences that are holistically forming our nefesh, our soul. And that's why they matter. And that's why we do them. But we don't over-spiritualize the act itself. And so anointing is the same way. If we have faith and we believe that God will heal, we will perform this symbol that he calls us to, to, to place ourselves in our belief under his power to do what he wants to do. And that's what this passage is getting at. And that's why the next passage um, below this in verse 16 
he goes, or, sorry, verse 15, he says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Meaning like when you pray for them, God can and will heal them. He says if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And this is because, like I said, their sickness was always hand-in-hand with their sins at this time. And so James is, is kind of giving that to them. But then the next verse he says, so confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So James is pointing from physical healing. There's a much deeper healing that needs to be done, and that's spiritual healing, and that's done through confession of sins to one another and to the Lord. What is believing in God, believing in God and Jesus and what he's done is repenting. It's turning from your sins. How do you turn from your sins? You acknowledge them. You place them before the Lord. You confess them. It's actually much harder, but you place those before other people. Then it's very real, right? Because they, you know, it's much harder to do that than just pray to God about it. You, you repent and you turn from, and there's belief in that, right? That's the act of belief. And so you repent and you turn from and you confess your sins. He says, the prayer then of a righteous person, person who's made right before God, which is through Jesus' blood, has great effectiveness because you're in relationship with God. And then this is how we know what he's getting at is about relationship because then he uses Elijah. He says, Elijah was a human being like any of us. Sin had problems, right? And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain and then it rained when he wanted to rain, right? They're using this story, and they're using Elijah specifically, James, is because Elijah shows this beautiful union that he has with God. It's almost like they're one. Like God, God and Elijah are so in communication that, that Elijah knows the heart and the will of God so that his prayers match the heart and the will of God. And so that when rain stops or rain comes, like Elijah is one with what God wants in that situation. And that is the, the barometer of what we are trying to achieve in this passage is that we become so at one in relationship with God that we can know his will and understand his will and love his will and pray that for other people. And so if you don't get what you want when you pray for it, you're not discouraged because you know that God is much greater and much bigger and has a plan for what is happening. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to have the answers on this side of heaven. I'll promise you that. I've had too many deaths in my life that I still don't have answers for, right? But trusting that God is bigger in the picture of our lives. And, and when we start to do that, we start to develop this deep relationship, and that's where this idea of like righteous prayer comes into play, is that we truly believe God does hear us, and God does care, and God can heal if and when he wants to. And so that leads us to the last interaction piece that we're going to do as we wrap up, is this idea of uh, confession and prayer and anointing. And um, I had talked about how, how the sickness that we were originally talking about was physical, but I think there's a much deeper reality for us that sickness is not just physical, but it is mental and it is spiritual and it is emotional. And many of us maybe have experienced physical issues that we're dealing with that we're frustrated or feel like God's not healing us, but a lot of us have dealt with mental health issues or emotional abuse, right, or even just a sense of oppression, and when you're not willing to bring that to the light, it's just, it's only going to eat at you more and more and more. The more that you bring over to the Lord, I promise you, the more that you will experience freedom and this weight will be lifted off you. I haven't been doing ministry that long, but it doesn't take very long to tell when someone is holding something and it's affecting because it affects, they think they can hide it. It affects all of their life. It just does. And we've seen freedom in the last three years of this church with people who have done that. Who have, I've been hiding this thing. I'm bringing it to the light. I'm, I'm terrified, but I'm going to trust that God is good in this and have experienced hope and freedom. And they're just a different person. Uh, I can tell you story after story. So what we're going to do is we're going to engage with this. And this is typically in our normal service. This is your first time. You're like, this is wild what they're doing. But we typically have a time of what we call formation. And the goal of that is to not just create consumers, but people who are continually taking steps 
to be formed into the image of Christ. And so we have four things that we always do. We have prayer, people in the back who pray for you. We have uh, the Lord's Supper, which I mentioned is for believers who want to um, symbolically just remind themselves of that. We have giving in the back, which is an act of worship. And then we also have a reflection on whatever is taught. But today is, is unique because this third part is going to have the two other pieces that we are throwing in as a priority, and that is confession and that is prayer and anointing. So how this is going to happen is confession, if you're a part of a core group, this is pretty normal for you, weirdly enough, because you confess. The C of core, it stands for confession. So every time you're in a core group and you get together, you're confessing sins. And uh, it's funny how many people, myself included, had never really done that. And then you do it, and you're like, this is amazing. Also really hard, but the most formative thing because it reminds you that you're not perfect, that you are broken, and that, believe it or not, every day you do need a Savior, and that you are not God. And so confession for you might be someone in your cores here, and you can just run over to them and be like, hey, I got some stuff I want to confess, and then I want to bring before the Lord. Would you pray with me in this and talk with me in this? Or you might be like, I don't know anyone, and I've never confessed sin, and you're terrified. And so that's totally okay. We're not going to make you go up to someone if you're not comfortable, but I encourage you to bring that before the Lord or any of the prayer team. We'd love to, to help you with that. Keep it confidential. We're not going to share with everyone. We're not going to have you come up here and share, right? But there's deep value in freeing ourselves from the spiritual oppression that we're experiencing so that we can have hope and freedom in Jesus. So we're going to, do, we're going to have space for that and all these things. And then the last thing is we're going to have people in the back who are going to pray for and anoint you if you're comfortable. So basically, if you want healing in any sort of way, or um, I would even argue that anointing is not just for sickness, but for setting apart. You feel like God is commissioning you into something, wants to start you in something, Whatever that is, loving a neighbor, starting a group, leading in some capacity, whatever that is, we want to pray for you and anoint you. And all it is, we just rub a little oil on your head as we're praying for you as a symbol that we want to put you before God in this way. And we want to care for and pray for you like James tells us to. So as we wrap up, I just want to leave you this last quote about prayer that I think is important for us to remind ourselves. The prayer offered in faith is a prayer based on confidence that God can and wants to heal But this does not imply that if a person has to have a sufficient degree of faith and that God will automatically answer the prayer. Rather, it suggests that believers have a right to faith in all of life's situations. So I just encourage you to think about this is faith in all areas of our life. Don't let nervousness or pride or fear stop you from being able to experience faith and life and freedom in all areas of your life. So we're going to give you some time, and then we're going to close in a song that that sort of sums up healing and freedom. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.